0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is June the 20th, 2022. Uh, It's Juneteenth Day, which, uh, of course, is one way in which America is trying to come to terms with the mythology of its past and uh uh, and um try to have its sins forgiven uh we've done a number of shows on the creation myths of the past and trying to make america or force america or shake america to recognize what really has happened in its foundation myths we did a show a couple of weeks ago with nicole eustace who won the Pulitzer Prize this year for her book, um, Covered with Night, a story of murder and indigenous justice in early America, trying to come to terms with the idea, at least according to Nicole, that it was the savages who, uh, the European savages who colonized America rather than the other way around. we have done lots of shows about uh, other creation myths. We did one with Brian Burrow, for example, a Texan historian. On the real story of the Alamo, Brian Hare co-authored a book, The Rise and Fall of the American Myth, Forget the Alamo, made a lot of noise, a lot of controversy in um, in Texas. And we've looked more broadly at the troubled history of injustice to indigenous peoples in, the, in, in, in American history. We did one show last year with Margaret Jacobs, a historian of Indigenous Americans, her book After 100 Winters in Search of Reconciliation on America's Stolen Land. So on June 20th, 2022, it's probably appropriate to talk more about these creation myths. And my guest today, Mark Lee Gardner, is the author of a wonderful new history book, The Earth is All That Lasts. Crazy Horse, Sitting Bull, and the Last Stand of the Great Sioux Nation. And in many ways, I think what Mark uh, Lee Gardner is doing, as with my other guests, um, is coming to terms being a little bit more honest about American history. Uh, Mark is joining us. Uh, Unfortunately, he has some connectivity issues, so we only have his audio. Uh, Welcome, Mark. Well, thank you, Andrew. Thank you very much uh mark am i putting you in a little box i didn't mean to in terms of this perhaps revisionist history of america is that a, a vulgarization of what you're trying to do in the earth that is all that last crazy horse sitting bull and the last stand of the great Sioux notion a nation are you telling a different story of the american foundation of american history well i don't think stories
1: i don't think I'm, yeah i don't think i'm telling um a tremendously different story. What I hope I'm telling is an enriched version of that story. I, I, I do think it's, um, hopefully it's well known um, that the United States government uh, conquered um, and took, stole Lakota lands in the 19th century and then tried to wipe out their culture. Um, I, I think that's known, but I my book is trying to kind of push that story more to the forefront and and enrich it and and provide essentially more information on just exactly how these two leaders, their role uh, during that time period, uh, what they did to combat uh, uh, that colonization um, and, uh, you know, what they gave their lives for in the end is what happened.
0: Mark, you mentioned land. Uh, A couple of years ago, we did a show with the historian simon winchester wrote a book called land how the hunger for ownership shaped the modern world and he dedicated the book to chief standing bear and he he wrote in 1879 the u.s government declared this chief to be a person under the law but they still took away his lands in terms of your telling of um the earth is all that lasts crazy horse sitting ball in the last stand of the great sioux nation we'll get of course to these characters and the story of the book, but is it really ultimately about land, about a hunger for land, a, a Western, particularly, and, and I use that term carefully because, of course, it took place. The, the whole story takes place in the West, but a, a colonial appetite, greed for
1: land. I I think that is essentially correct. I mean, um, uh, the people of the United States, Euro-Americans, um, coveted that land for lots of different reasons. Some of that land contained rich deposits of gold ore. Um, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, one of the things that that often comes up, uh, especially this, con- this concept that was popular with euro americans in the 19th century, manifest destiny, that the United States was destined by God to extend its borders to the Pacific. And there was this common thought that uh, the people that were inhabiting that land, the Lakotas, the Cheyennes, the Arapahos, they weren't using it to its best advantage. It, it didn't matter to them that it belonged to those people. Uh, it was their homeland uh, because they weren't using it the way they thought it should be used. Uh, they decided they didn't deserve it. Um, so, yes, it, it really all comes down to this uh, coveting of that land. And they were going to take it. Whether the Lakotas fought back or not, and um, brought the whole force of the U.S. military uh, to subdue and to conquer those nations, and to uh, and even as far as, uh, of course, I mean, in the book, there were there's a whole string of treaties. But as Sitting Bull remarked, every time there's a treaty, we lose more of our land. So that was just another way. It wasn't just it wasn't just a physical uh, military confrontation. It was also uh, uh, political and through uh, treaties that um, uh, constantly took more and more with each treaty.
0: Mark, fill us in on the history. Not everyone will be familiar with uh, the the events that you write about in The Earth is All That Lasts. Um, what years are this and, and, and what happened before to create the conditions for this last stand of the great Sioux Nation?
1: Sure. Well, it's it. The book really focuses on the lives of of the two leaders who really symbolized uh, the most, or more than any, other, this resistance uh, to uh, the encroachment by whites or Euro Americans. And Sitting Bull is born uh, probably in 1831. Crazy Horse is is born about nine years later. Uh, they're both uh, born on the northern plains, and they're part of a very very rich culture that had developed. In the early 19th century, I call it a buffalo culture. Uh, they followed the buffalo herds. They were horseback. They were nomadic. And their life really revolved around uh, the buffalo herds and living off the herds. But in the early part of the 19th century, they had also kind of developed this very interesting balance where there were a few Euro-American traders in Sioux country. And they could get their uh, various wants, whether it was brass kettles or glass beads from Italy and trade buffalo robes in return um the problem came when it was more than just traders that were in indian country and and again we talked about gold well the discovery of gold in california that brings hordes of people over the Olin trail and then discover and eventually the black hills uh the building of railroads all these things are impacting the the this lifestyle and the culture of the Lakotas and Cheyennes and other nations that lived on the Northern Plains. And so what happens is you have diminishing buffalo herds, uh, which uh, they need not only for trade, but really to to eat, to make their lodges. Um, You have uh, whites that are uh, building towns on Indian land. I mean, the city of Denver was actually built on land of the Cheyennes and Arapahoes by treaty. Uh, And so uh, the U.S. government forced... Uh, the of Arapahoes out and, and forced them to change the treaty. Um, and the same thing in the Black Hills. When the miners fled into there, uh, by treaty, that was Lakota land. And this um, led to the U.S. government not siding with the Lakotas, but trying to figure out a way to uh, get rid of or extinguish the title by making a new treaty. Um, and the whole time, these individuals, Crazy Horse and Sitting Bull, they're not interested in treaties. They don't want to cede any lands. In fact, Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse, they never sign a treaty. They never called it Touch the Pin. They never did that. Um, they were against reservations. They were against ceding land. They said it was theirs, and it was. Um, but that's that um, turmoil uh, starts, again, with these gold discoveries and the uh, encroachment uh, upon Lakotas, which impacts their their lives and their are culture. these
0: then um, Mark uh, the, the the two central characters in your book Crazy Horse and Sitting Bull are these should these be treated as great American heroes do you think absolutely should we be mythologizing them as in the way that we have we Europeans have mythologized Madison or Jefferson or Washington
1: absolutely I mean I uh, uh, I think they're very inspirational and in that. The, it wasn't just the fact that they resisted, but their whole purpose in resisting uh, was looking out for the care of their people, their followers. They, I mean, in, in Lakota culture, uh, a chief or leader, um, their first duty is to the welfare of the people that follow them. So it wasn't just uh it wasn't personal uh, really at all though they certainly were against um you know losing lands and against this encroachment and the taking of lands by the US government but they wanted their people to survive uh and not just survive but to maintain their culture because what we really happened towards the end of the book is that we're seeing cult- what's really cultural genocide the wiping out of all their traditions their dances their language and Sitting Bull was not opposed to education But he wanted his people to be taught to read and write in Lakota. Um, But according to the Indian Bureau, uh, that was a backwards uh, pagan language. And so I think they're so inspirational, again, not because their prowess in battle, but they always, always looked after their people and uh, their survival.
0: Mark, um, The Earth is All That Lasts is a wonderful title. Why do you call this book about crazy horse and sitting ball and this destruction, perhaps one might even call it a genocide of uh, indigenous American civilization by white America. Why do you, why do you entitle it? The earth is all that lasts.
1: The earth is all that Last was a phrase. Uh, it was really a rallying cry and it was heard at some of the, the, really the largest engagements between, uh, U S soldiers and, uh, Plains Indians. And the whole idea is, is that to remind, to, these warriors, um, you know, Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse would shout, brave up. The earth is all that lasts. And to tell them that there are greater things uh, that you're fighting for and that you're not going to live forever. So be brave. uh, Fight for your people. The earth is all that lasts. Another phrase was, it's a good day to die. Um, So it's I I like
0: this association with the earth. Um, Many of our Viewers and listeners, Mark, you, you're a very distinguished um, historian of the West. Uh, you wrote a book called *Rough Riders* about Teddy Roosevelt, um, *Shot All to Hell* about Jesse James, um, as well as uh, *To Hell Fa- uh, on a Fast Horse* by Billy the Kid. You write about the West. In fact, um, uh, your your books have won a number of uh, of awards from the Wild West History Association. They're in many ways a book books about Land and Teddy Roosevelt, of course, comes to mind. Uh, We did a show um, a couple of years ago with the environmental writer David Gessner, who had a book, Leave It As It Is, a a journey through Theodore Roosevelt's American wilderness, that of course Roosevelt was dedicated to defending. Uh, Oddly enough, we've come full circle, it seems, in terms of the land. I had Tony Hiss on the show recently another distinguished American environmentalist. Uh, he has a new book out, uh, Rescuing the Planet, Protecting Half the Land to Heal the Earth. Do we need, uh, Mark, in a way to return to the wisdom of the indigenous peoples of North America in terms of our appreciation of the land if we're to save the planet and we'll save the American environment?
1: I, I would agree with that, certainly. Um, one of the things that struck me as I was researching the book um, There was a a Lakota named Luther Standing Bear, and he was born just at the tail end uh, of these days of freedom uh, and and really at the beginning of the reservation era. And like a lot of uh, Native children, he was sent off to boarding schools to Carlisle. He was taught to read and write in English, Uh, but he wrote several books that were published in the 1920s and early 1930s. And he talked about um, this relationship with the land and, and how everything on the earth and in the sky uh, had a spirit and a purpose, even a rock. And he said that uh, the difference between the Lakotas and the Euro Americans was that um, basically uh, they were closer to nature. Um, you know, in my book, uh, you know, Sitting Bull Has Visions. He talks to eagles, uh, Crazy Horse has visions and talks to the Thunder beings. Um, and who am I to question that? They they lived close to nature. They they were born under the stars. And yeah, I mean, um, it's just
0: as ridiculous as talking about Jesus or something, isn't it?
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. But um, yeah, so um I yeah, they they did have, at least for a period of time, um, what you would call a balance with nature. But what disrupted that balance was the greed. Um, you know, it wasn't just Lakota's hunting buffalo. Then you have the white buffalo hunters. Um, and, uh, you know, the total waste um, that you see with the uh, market hunters. Uh, and and just the destruction of the, the, I guess, a lack of respect and honor. Uh, the Black Hills to this day are considered sacred. So, yeah, it's... Uh, a return to those those beliefs um, would be, I think, a very good thing.
0: Mark, there's two schools of thought on this. Of course, most people, I think, would probably agree with you. On the other hand, some people might say, well, for better or worse, this entire culture got destroyed, perhaps not consciously, but as you suggest, certainly in, um, as a consequence of European or white European colonialism. So what is the point of reminding us of it? It's gone away now. And for early 21st century environmentalists to try to reclaim it in the language of environmentalism, isn't that also sort of dishonest? Or do you think it's, this is the sort of stuff that should be taught in schools to remind American schoolchildren of the richness of their past?
1: Oh, I definitely. Their, the plan. richness
0: of their non-European past.
1: Yeah, I, I think definitely the latter. I and and I and uh, not that everything uh, certainly uh, uh, the various nations on the northern plains uh, were fighting each other. I mean, we don't. want You know, uh, there. I think that we we look at and try to take the positive things, um, the respect for nature, uh, the respect for living things, um, and trying to use the land wisely. Um, you know sitting bull uh was constantly thanking Wakantonka, uh you know god uh for the gifts uh that he had bestowed you know the the fact that they had food that they weren't starving um and they tried to be respectful uh of the buffalo herd so that they would you know so their children would survive um so yeah no i think what you said at the end um i think those things should be taught how rich this culture was and I don't think it should be a sad story either. I mean, it is tragic, but I, I really felt in my book, I hope that people are inspired by these two men and how they gave so much, including their lives, so that their people would live and continue and that they would have their homeland. And they actually, Andrew, they do inspire to this day. Um, whether it's the Dakota Access Pipeline. Well, we have, uh, the, or, or the Crazy Horse Memorial. Exactly, um, yeah. So they they continue to inspire in, in, uh, um, in various protests. And even with the current uh, legal dispute over the Black Hills, that hasn't been settled. The Supreme Court awarded the Lakotas um, a big settlement, which has grown up to close to $2 billion, which they refuse to uh, receive to this day. And part of it, I think, is in honor of these ancestors. They you know, fought to maintain that land, and they want the land back.
0: That's another subject, yeah, which certainly uh, Margaret Jacobs talks about in her idea of reconciliation after 100 winters. She believes that we should give that land back. Um, we did a show uh, last year with the New York University historian David Stasavage he has a new book out about democracy in which he argues that quote-unquote Western ideas of democracy were already in practice with the indigenous peoples of North America. How, how much of that did, did you look at for this book, The Earth is All That Lasts? Were men like, you know, these heroes of your book, Crazy Horse, and Sitting Bull, were they authoritarian leaders or were they democratic leaders? How did they make their decisions?
1: Well, they could be both. Um, you know, uh, Crazy Horse, towards the end, uh, attempted to be authoritarian because um, he was losing followers a- as they were struggling. After a little Bighorn. they were starving and he was losing followers that were surrendering because um, they didn't really see much hope. And for a while, he tried to, you know, it was very, very brutal. I mean, uh, a few families that tried to desert, he he tracked them down and killed their horses and destroyed their belongings. But eventually, he realized that it was use, and and uh, that policy he abandoned, and and for the good of his people, he uh, surrendered. Um, so they they both Sitting Bull and a Crazy Horse could be very authoritative. But the other thing to remember about uh, their leadership is that you didn't rise in the ranks without the support of a great number of people. And and generally, you rose to, to be a leader uh, through your uh, coups on the battlefield and your wisdom uh, and judgment. And it was also uh, usually um, you could go to another chief. Uh, you did not have to remain a follower. Um, and sometimes leaders would lose number of followers who would go with somebody else. So in some ways, uh, it's like you know they're voting with, uh, with uh, you know, their desires to who they're going to follow. They don't have to necessarily follow one individual or the other. But because Sitting Bull was so strongly opposed to ceding land and, and to giving up uh, that lifestyle, their culture, he attracted uh, literally um, hundreds and hundreds in 1876 who are camped on the little bighorn uh, and what results in the Battle of the Bighorn on June 25th.
0: So, if uh, Crazy Horse and Sitting Bull are the heroes of the book, who are the villains?
1: Well, to me, um, the greatest villain is um, not all Euro Americans. Uh, you know, some some Indian agents were were you know and missionaries. Uh, they had good intentions, um, but to me, the biggest villain in the book is. Are the Indian agents, and um, especially James McLaughlin at Standing Rock, who was only interested in complete control. Um, he tried to, you know, really humiliate Sitting Bull, who had been this, you know, had led all the anti-treaty bands, and tried to bend him and break him. And the same thing happened to Crazy Horse uh, when he surrendered. Again, they tried to bend them. You know, one one of the officers was trying to quote work him, which he admitted in his correspondence. Uh, So to me, those are the real villains, the ones who could have made a difference, uh, who who could have attempted to understand. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, So we'll talk about James McLaughlin, the Standing Rock agent. Later in his life, he wrote a book called, and it was titled, My Friend the Indian. Well, as I say in the book, they were only friends if you did exactly what the agent wanted. And if you didn't, you were an enemy. And Sitting Bull, uh, you know, he did not. um, was well, not be an agent. It. These were government-appointed
0: officials, essentially.
1: Exactly. Appointed yes.
0: Appointed to run the reservations. The yes, flag. the agencies.
1: Yeah. And so those, I, I think, are if there is a real villain. Um, but I also, it just, I feel like some some scholars and some uh, lay readers would say, well, this was ine- inevitable that the buffalo were going to go away, and and I just feel like. Those that were in control politically could have done better. They could have upheld uh, the treaty terms. They could have made an effort to understand these cultures. But the way they looked at the Lakota and other nations, they looked at them as children. And it was very insulting. Whenever there's a treaty, they're talking about the great father. They're talking down to him what they should do. They didn't look at them as independent governments or nations. They looked at them as subjects, uh, you know, like we were in some kind of Uh, like, uh, 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 you know, royalty and, you know, uh, a monarchy and that these uh, children needed to be scolded. And if they don't be supposed to be done, we're going to attack them and destroy their villages. Uh, So I just think that it could have happened differently than it did. And the U.S. government could have made a better effort to uphold the treaties. Um, And, you know, I think what's so ironic, Andrew, is that the Euro-Americans are the ones that always claimed to be superior, to be civilized. And yet there was nothing civilized in taking Lakota lands. There was nothing civilized in attacking Indian villages and killing women and children. And there was definitely nothing civilized in the deaths of Crazy Horse and Sitting Bull.
0: Yeah. And in, in that sense, Mark, you're really just repeating the story of Nicole Eustace that she tells in covered with night. Nothing much changed between 1722 and the middle of the, the 19th century when, when your events uh, begin. Um, the, this last stand, of course, of the great Sioux nation um, didn't mean the end entirely of indigenous um, Indian or uh, in, uh, North American indigenous culture. Uh, some of these tribes, quote unquote, still exist. The Northern Cheyenne tri- tribe of the Cheyenne Indian Reservation, for example, that you write about in the book. Uh, but I just did a trip across America, and there's something I, we stumbled on some indigenous lands. There's something very depressing about what's left, isn't there, in terms of its poverty and its sort of aimlessness. Is that fair?
1: It is fair. I mean, the, uh, uh, the Pine Ridge Reservation today is one of the poorest places in the country. And so, you know, it's it it is very um, it is very depressing uh, to drive through that country, and especially when we reflect on how rich and um, how free uh, these these nations were historically. Um, but I also see, um, uh, you know, Lakotas will say, "We're still here. We haven't gone anywhere." Um, and this um, whole land back movement, uh, I think, is also important. And I think it starts with Crazy Horse and Sitting Bull, um, who would not, you know, who who violently resisted to to ceding lands. And so um, it, it's, I guess, it's a very melancholy. And and I even have mixed feelings. And and I enjoy the beauty. And I try, you know, and I and I, you know, I think I can sometimes you feel the spirit of these people. And why they fought so hard to maintain that land, and um, so yeah, it's bittersweet. I guess is the word that I would use. I don't know where, I don't know where the sweetness is. Um, yeah, that's true. Uh,
0: Mark, I noted earlier that you've written very well-acclaimed books on Jesse James, for example, and Billy the Kid, classic American outlaws. It's funny, um, I did a show with the new uh, the Atlantic writer Jennifer Senor about Steve Bannon. She has a piece out which is entitled America's Respute and I noted that for me Bannon captured a certain Americanness and she said she didn't know what that meant and I was sort of stumbled on that. but actually thinking about your work on people like Billy the Kid and Jesse James, that outlaw spirit in America, that lawlessness, which perhaps was manifested in the wars against the indigenous peoples, that hasn't gone away, has it?
1: Oh, no, not at all. Um, And uh, the thing about these individuals you mentioned, um, for good or bad, they were larger-than-life individuals who made a huge imprint on the popular psych of their eras. And I would argue the same thing with Crazy Horse and Sitting Bull. They've become iconic and they become iconic for a very good reason. Um, they were larger than life in the times they actually lived in. I mean, those names are on the tips of the tongues on most Americans, especially after the Battle of Little Bighorn. And Billy the Kid and Jesse James, Theodore Roosevelt. Um, I think that's why we're drawn to them over and over again. Um, and part of it's the outlaw spirit that they they that they kind of blaze their own path. And again, um I'm not condoning <laughs> becoming a train robber, um, but they did outlandish things that um, were remarkable to the people of their time. So, Mark,
0: if the conservatives are resurrecting in, 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 in the spirit of a man like Stephen, Steve Bannon or even Donald Trump, the spirit, the lawlessness, the, uh, the cheek of a Jesse James, a Billy the Kid, or even a Teddy Roosevelt, what should progressives do if they're to reclaim some of the tradition? Should they go back perhaps to Crazy Horse and Sitting Bull?
1: Well, um there's certainly things that they can take uh from Crazy Horse and Sitting Bull, but um, you know, is the answer uh, to to fight and fight and fight and resist to the very end? Or and you know, Andrew, this is a date that I've had many times, or uh, should we look at people like red cloud who accommodated who signed a treaty but then for the rest of his life regretted signing that treaty and 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 giving in and i don't i just think that's a a, a tension and that that goes on to this day uh, yeah i
0: wonder if um from an indigenous point of view whether this all existed in parallel with a similar struggle we were talking on Juneteenth day, uh, Ju- Ju- June 20th, 2022, and um, the debates and struggles within the African American community between men like Booker T. Washington and, yes. and boys. So that was that was similar conversations similar political debates and struggles about how to confront white Americans.
1: Oh yes, absolutely and that's an excellent comparison. Um Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse despised leaders like Red Cloud and Spotted Tail um, and for some good reason had these other leaders um resisted like them they would have had a much better chance of perhaps maintaining uh, a large part of their homeland are getting better treaty terms, what have you. But they saw these other leaders by accommodating. They saw them as eroding and eventually leading to the doom of these anti-treaty bands because they just could not, they just did not have enough power and, and warriors to do this on their own. Um, on the other hand, what did they give up uh, by, uh, um, I mean, it, it, uh, it shattered that culture and that nation uh by that division um so and and you know are they better off today because of that or not or what would have happened had they all banded together and and refused and you know red cloud and spotted tail would argue they were looking out for their people too um by signing those treaties and going to washington and and trying to make a. Goodness. I mean those
0: treaties and that would have been a more persuasive argument had White America being more honest. I mean, if the treaties had held, then maybe there would have been something
1: in it. But I guess, I mean, it's always so easy in retrospect, isn't it? Well, Andrew, here's an interesting irony. Um, I mentioned Sitting Bull and Crazy Horse never signed a treaty. Well, uh, Red Cloud and others signed the Fort Laramie Treaty of 1868. And in that treaty was a clause that any future land sessions would have to have the agreement of three-quarters of the male population uh, of the Lakotas. That is what hinged the Supreme Court case in 1980. Um, that's why the Lakotas still have a claim to the Black Hills. Had those chiefs not signed that treaty, uh, they wouldn't have that $2 billion in an Indian Bureau account today. They wouldn't still have a claim to those lands. So that was one tree where it was actually fortunate that that was put down on pen and paper and that those leaders signed. So uh, anyway, I think it's ironic, you know. Uh, yeah, sort of know. a tragic irony given. Yes, the, exactly. Given the history and given the nature of these
0: lands. Now, finally, uh, Mark, now many, many American kids in particular or people around the world would have been first first introduced to these wars and this struggle through the Western the movie form that essentially legitimized, I think, what happened in the 19th century. There, of course, is an anti-Western form uh, like uh, Robert uh, Altman's uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Uh, What would you advise people to watch and read if, in addition to your new book, The Earth is All That Lasts, that tell a story, the true story, of what happened in 18th and 19th century America when it comes to the indigenous peoples of the West? Certainly, a movie like uh, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, I think, is very valuable.
1: Well, none of them, of course, they're movies they are not perfect, but one of my favorites uh, for kind of a, a revisionist look is uh, League Man um, with Dustin Hoffman and uh, the story of uh, the Battle of the Washita And I mean, it follows all these um, uh, different uh, eras in the West but gives a very different view of Custer and uh, gives a very, uh, you know, a more intimate look. Yeah, we at... haven't even
0: mentioned Custer, who is another mythologized
1: So anyway, have you seen Little Big Man? Or No, I have
0: seen it, yes, but I need to revisit as well. Well, Mark Lee Gardner, congratulations on this new book, The Earth is All That Lasts, Crazy Horse Sitting Bull, and The Last Stand of the Great Sioux Nation. It's a critically important story if America is to come to terms with its creation myths. And uh, I'd love to have you back on the show uh, to talk more about this. Thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you, Andrew. I've really enjoyed our conversation.